Hi there, Saravi here. This podcast is intended to educate, inspire, and support you on your personal journey to health, wellness, and regeneration. While I am a clinical doctor, I do not offer any standalone medical advice or professional help in this podcast. If you are suffering from a psychological or medical condition, please seek help from your personalized healthcare provider. Welcome to Embodied Health. I'm your host, the physician in your pocket, Dr. Saravi. We're here to discuss all things medicine, mindset, and mastering regeneration. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another week here at the clinic. This week, we dive deep to understand our autonomic nervous system and how the stress created in our environments and then in our bodies through our fight or flight response contributes to disease. Okay, so do this with me. Imagine it's the end of a long day of work. You're the last one to leave the office. You're turning off the light and walking out into a dark garage thinking about what to get for dinner when suddenly a large shadow jumps out from behind the dumpster with a metal object in hand. You have a split second to decide, do you run, fight, or freeze? You decide to run for it. Fumbling to your car, putting the keys in the ignition, you drive away. You pull away to safety and you realize your heart is pounding fast. Your breath is quickened. You're covered in sweat. And this is where you realize that your autonomic nervous system, the fight or flight response, has just saved your life. Now, altogether, we're talking about quite a complex orchestra, but today we're just going to be focusing on one of the instrument sections. We will eventually make our way to other components of this whole orchestra, but This component is especially important as we try and answer, why do we get sick? How do we get well? And what do we do about it? So let's dive into a quick anatomy lesson. The nervous system of our body can be divided into the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system. The central nervous system, as the name suggests, is central. It's our brain and our spinal cord. The peripheral nervous system does essentially everything else peripherally in our body. Now, the everything else, the peripheral nervous system has two parts as well, the autonomic nervous system and the somatic nervous system. I know it's getting a little technical, but let's break this down just a little further. The somatic nervous system is responsible for all the areas of the soma, referring to the body as opposed to the mind or the brain, and this means it affects voluntary control of our muscles. The autonomic nervous system, which we are mostly concerned about, is what's stimulating our internal body. The autonomic nervous system is called autonomic for a few different reasons. Originally, people thought it was called autonomic because it was autonomous acting completely independent from the central nervous system. But that's not true. 
In fact, it's called autonomic because it acts independently of internal stimulation. Rather, it acts automatically in response to our environment. So that means that the autonomic nervous system goes to innervate most of our internal organs and controls functions like breathing or beating of our heart based on what it sees in response to our environment. Good thing that we don't actively have to think about beating my heart or taking a breath. It happens automatically, autonomically, in response to our external environment. So this autonomic nervous system, which controls our breathing and our heart rate, also has two branches, the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. These I'm sure most of us are familiar with. The sympathetic nervous system is responsible for turning things up and the parasympathetic nervous system for turning things down. Our fight or flight or freeze versus our rest and digest. Now this is where things get good and understanding this can really help us see the direct connection between our environments and the insides of our body. The autonomic nervous system can be Excitatory, so turning things up, or inhibitory, turning things down. The sensory input that we're receiving from our bodies is almost always unconscious, but sometimes it's not. So when we have pain in our internal organ, that's conscious and we can feel it. Other sensations like satiety or feeling full, we might not be aware of. So our body reads these sensations consciously or not and adjusts our internal environments by sending the signals to our brain and back to our personal set point for homeostasis. And we try and do this as quickly and seamlessly as possible. And this is the wisdom of our bodies. Now, how this works is a little complex, but what we really have to understand is that there are chemical messengers that send out these signals. In the autonomic nervous system, these chemicals are called neuroepinephrine and epinephrine, also noradrenaline and adrenaline, respectively. And this is what's causing our fight or flight or freeze response. This is what is released when we sense danger. Now, this adrenaline surge, the rapid release of this chemical adrenaline, neuroepinephrine, causes cardiovascular reactivity. Essentially, our cardiovascular system, aka the heart and all the blood vessels in our body, get this chemical and start pumping blood, energy, and nutrients and oxygen to where we need it most to help our body function. This cardiovascular reactivity is what's responsible for helping us to meet the threats that lie ahead. Our blood pressure goes up, our heart rate goes down, all our vasodilation occurs, which means our arteries open wider to allow for more blood flow, or we have vasoconstriction where everything clamps down and sends blood to our brain and other vital organs. When you're in a fight or flight response, there's a chain of which the blood preferentially goes throughout your body. You want to send oxygen and energy first to your heart and then to your arms and legs so you can fight or flee. You'll need energy. That means we'll need some sugar. So the autonomic nervous system acts on the sympathetic nervous system to turn everything up. And this includes your blood sugar. It breaks down your muscle fibers. It yanks out your lipids 
and it sends it all to the liver to make glucose for the essential organs. It also increases your attention and your focus, giving you a sort of tunnel vision, presumably to help you focus on whatever danger might lie ahead so you can escape it. And all of this is good stuff. When we were wild human animals out in the prairies or the jungles or wherever our ancestors were, they had to be acutely aware and flee from danger. And that is why you and I are here to live the tale to tell today. Okay, so where does this leave us modern day computer age humans without the wild roaming tigers in our neighborhood streets? From human studies, we know that early life experiences can in fact retrain and sensitize our autonomic nervous system. That is to say that if you learn that your environment is hostile because your parents were always fighting or there was financial scarcity, there wasn't enough food in the home, then you would, it would behoove you to have a super sensitive trigger so that you can quickly and robustly respond to those dangers that happen frequently in your environment. Similarly, we know that people who've experienced intense trauma or war or physical violence may develop post-traumatic stress disorder. This is where we see an increased sympathetic nervous system arousal. This also leads us to another key element of this system, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal, HPA, axis which is part of our stress response system and releases the stress hormone of the body, cortisol. So what does this mean for us? Stress is a highly orchestrated response to a perceived threat or challenge that includes anything biological, behavioral, cognitive, or emotional. A stress can be real or imagined, and this sets off the whole process. Humans are incredibly unique in that we make ourselves stressed on something that might never happen or may never happen just based on our thoughts and what we think. So what this says is the thoughts in our mind, the thoughts we think can set off two distinct pathways in our bodies, the autonomic nervous system and our hormones, the stress hormone cortisol specifically. So hormones, especially cortisol, is similar to neurotransmitters like epinephrine and adrenaline, except that hormones are released directly into the blood to circulate to the body, while neurotransmitters like adrenaline and epinephrine are spat out from one neuron directly onto the other, like electric wiring. Hormones are similar to neurotransmitters, but they have a slower onset, more versatile effect, and here's the key can be much more long-lasting. We have about 50 different types of hormones in our bodies. The one that weighs most significantly in our discussion today is that of cortisol. Cortisol is the second half of our stress response system, with adrenaline, epinephrine being our first half of the response system. As a hormone, it's much slower to turn on and takes much longer to turn off. Now, it doesn't work in opposition to the sympathetic nervous system. Rather, it's a complement to the sympathetic nervous system. Most people call cortisol the Goldilocks hormone. That's if you have to have the right amount to be healthy. Too much, you have health problems. Too little, again, health problems. 
So cortisol's primary function is in the metabolism or the use of our carbohydrates, proteins, and fats, lipids. Essentially, When an individual has the release of cortisol, they're going to need energy to fight or flee whatever might be ahead of them. So like I mentioned, this activates a variety of things in our metabolism, breaking down our muscles, digesting our fats, turning it into active glucose, read sugar in our bloodstream that we can use for energy. So when we are there in front of a wild tiger or a bear, we need this. All of this is good stuff. But when we are in situations where we are chronically stressed based on our environment or our work or our relationship or even the thoughts that we're thinking in our head based on hypothetical situations, cortisol and therefore glucose is chronically high in our bloodstream. What's most important to understand here is that our body wants to remain in balance And we don't want to turn these systems on and just leave them on. We want our body to move through the change and through the stress and find a way to achieve stability, a new set point, so to speak. That set point is called homeostasis. This moving through the challenge, moving through the change and finding a new stability, that is called allostasis. So essentially what this means is that if we want to keep things on an even keel, our autonomic nervous system, our fight or flight response, and our hormones, specifically read cortisol, constantly need to be changing and finding new set points, new points of homeostasis so that we can create harmony within our body. This wear and tear, this chronic change, this fluctuation is called allostatic load. Now, as we get older, our allostatic load increases. And as it builds, our body can no longer cope well with the stress that is presented to us within our body from the outside. This chronic stress starts to cause disease within the body, dis-ease. This allostatic load is important because it refers to the cumulative burden of chronic stress of our life events. And when the environment challenges exceed our individual ability to cope with what's going on, then we have allostatic overload. And there has been direct correlation in medical literature with an allostatic overload and disease in the body. Now, Public health has gone far to to pull out several determinants of what contribute to making someone healthy. Some of the factors here are your environment, your socioeconomic status, your health of the people surrounding you, your education level, your financial circumstance, because all of these components contribute to the stress that you feel from the external environment that is then translating to an increased cortisol response, an increased adrenaline response, and therefore an increased allostatic load within the body. And the more we push our body, the more chances of an allostatic overload and the immediate cause of disease. So this is what we have control over. 
To embody health and balance out the dis-ease within our body, there are a number of mind-body techniques that have been used to slow down our sympathetic nervous system and to activate our parasympathetic nervous system. Read, rest, and digest. Some of these techniques you're familiar with, meditation, deep exercise, yoga, EFT tapping, just to name a few. Our optimal state is to control our mind and our thoughts and thereby decreasing the activity of the sympathetic nervous system firing and decreasing the release of overactive cortisol to keep our body out of a state of chronic stress and in a state of neutrality for the majority of the time. So this is all well and good, but how do we do this? This is where I would like to present the relaxation response. Dr. Herbert Benson has a beautiful program um, out of Harvard University. I should say late Dr. Benson. He passed last year. And the relaxation response has been an immense contribution to the field of mind-body medicine. The relaxation response is a natural, innate protective mechanism that allows us to turn off the harmful effects of stress through changes that decrease our heart rate, lower our metabolism, decrease our rate of breathing, and in this way, bring our body back to a healthier state of balance. There are four basic elements that Dr. Benson suggests is necessary to evoke this relaxation response. They are a quiet environment, an object to dwell upon, a passive let it happen attitude, and a comfortable position. To a lot of you familiar with the mind-body connection, that sounds awfully like transcendental meditation or Zen meditation, maybe yoga, autogenic training, progressive relaxation, hypnosis. Even some suggest that Religious contemplation can produce the same type of relaxation response within our bodies. So, today, as like always, if you are willing and able and are not driving, I would invite you to enter a space where we can trigger the relaxation response together with the four simple steps. So if you're willing and able, let's sit in a quiet and comfortable position and close our eyes. This is where I invite you to deeply relax all of your muscles. Try and actively relax your scalp and your forehead and your eyebrows. Relax your cheeks and your jaw and your throat. Relax your chest and your diaphragm and your arms and your fingers. Relax your belly and your pubic bone. Relax your legs and your thighs, 
relax your feet all the way down to your tippy toes. In this quiet, relaxed position, I invite you now to breathe through your nose. Just become aware of your breathing. Don't try and control it. Just watch it. And as you breathe out, say the word one silently to yourself. This is our object to dwell on. For example, breathe in and out. One. Breathe in and out. One. Breathe easily and naturally. Here I will hold space for a few moments as you continue to breathe in and out. But know that this is to be continued for 10 to 20 minutes to achieve the optimal relaxation response. You may open your eyes from time to time to check the clock. But Dr. Benson advises not to use a triggering alarm. When you finish, sit quietly for several minutes. At first with your eyes closed and then later with your eyes open. But do not stand up for a few moments. Just allow your neurotransmitters to circulate and your hormones to balance out. This is being in that passive, let it happen attitude. Don't worry whether you are successful in achieving a deep level of relaxation. Just maintain a passive attitude and permit the relaxation to occur at its own pace. When distracting thoughts occur, Merely return to your breath and repeating one. With practice, the response should come with little effort. Dr. Benson suggests to practice this technique once or twice daily, but not within two hours of any meal since it would interfere with the digestive process to elicit the relaxation response. Breathe in and out. One. In and out. One. In. And out. One.
As you move through this week, I invite you to take time out each day to spend anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes eliciting the relaxation response. Just as you shower every day to clean your body, meditate in this way to elicit the relaxation response to clear your body of the neurotransmitters and the excess hormones from the stressful world we live in. The physiological measurements of oxygen consumption, respiratory rate, heart rate, alpha waves, blood pressure, and muscle tension all show that this relaxation response does in fact alter significantly the physiology of our bodies within. Dr. Benson's relaxation response is the shower we need for our internal system. This is how we combat the stress and the buildup of our modern day. While we cannot make our external world less noisy in this fast-paced, driven modern age, we have to learn techniques of mind-body connection to cleanse our insides, to reset our set point so that we may go out each day, achieve all that we desire without allowing dis-ease, disease, to build up within our bodies. I invite you now to spend some time this week really mastering the relaxation response and feeling the tangible benefits for yourself. And that's a wrap for this week. I hope you take the time to integrate these messages and these ideas into your consciousness, into your being, and into your life. And we hope to see you next week in the clinic. Take care. Much love. Dr. Saravi.